All right, so if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. If you don't, it'll be up here on the screen. But uh, this is a very dynamic verse. It says, But in your heart, set, up, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. That's pretty dynamic if you think about it. All right? I, love, I love the Bible using always, always, so all of us, Always need to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, right? And it says at the end, but do this with gentleness and respect. Do this with gentleness and respect. We are kicking off a new series this morning, how to defend your faith and stay friends, right? How to defend your faith. We want you to be able to share the gospel, share your faith, and also defend your faith, but at the same time, to stay friends with the people you'll be interacting with. It's, this whole series is based on a Facebook conversation, which is now a book, um, and uh, it's between myself and Emily, who, um, who was the, the, the young lady who got me to come back to church the second time. Our lives have taken completely opposite directions since we were in high school and youth group together. Um, completely different directions. And, uh, and I'll tell you, this is going to be um, a really exciting for me and challenging series for all of us. So Emily has gone in a different direction, and she writes this in a Facebook post. She wrote to me, she said, 30 years, and I can see that our lives are remarkably different. We're opposite, but that's not bad. Opposites are, are good for defining who we are. You're a minister, and I am a Nolithian. Happily raising my three kids without any religion whatsoever. Imagine that. Does that surprise you, she wrote? And to be honest with you, it it did surprise me when she first wrote to me. It did surprise me. Because again, this was the young lady who is the reason that I came back to church the second time. Um, I had not gone to church very much growing up. We moved around a lot. Uh, we went on Easter sometimes. I remember Palm Sunday because they gave me that little palm. I loved Palm Sunday because they gave me something. And so I liked the palm branch. So I do remember Palm Sunday more than anything else. But um, when, I, when I was growing up, when I was in New York, we didn't really go to church that much at all. I didn't go to church ever. And so a friend of mine, Patty, started going to church, and she uh, ended up really enjoying this and, and going consistently, and she was inviting us. And, you know, Patty was way too happy about this church, smiled too much, her, her attitude, her, just, her demeanor changed, and I figured she was in a cult. And I figured she needed my help to get her out of this cult, okay? Way too much smiling. So my friend and I, Don, decided we're going to go to this church. We'll go to this church youth group meeting, and we'll figure out how to get our friend Patty um, out of this cult. And when we got there, um, where I grew up, I, I had learned over time to be very distrusting of people. So I didn't like anyone behind me. So when we walked into the house, there was a staircase that went up, and everybody was sitting down. The youth pastor was in the living room over here. I could see through the rails of the steps. So I made my way to the top of the steps so that everyone was in front of me kind of pinned myself back there. And they were singing songs about God, and I thought it was pretty cool. No one was picking a fight, which was really rare. Um, in a new environment, usually when, in my environment where I was growing up, if you were in a new environment with different people, someone always started something, we're always in a fight. This was different. So I kind of liked it. But then the youth pastor started speaking, right? And I'm 17 and a half years old. Yeah, he got a picture, kind of a, a hood kind of looking guy. And where I grew up in my apartment complex, we didn't play with, uh, with Play-Doh. And he broke out some Play-Doh. 
and started talking about, I don't know what he was saying, but I remember hearing him saying, we're going to play with this Play-Doh, and I want you to make something for someone that reminds you of that person. Or, and I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, if my friends find out, number one, that I'm at a church meeting, and I'm playing with Play-Doh, <laughs> I'm toast. You know what I mean? But I got to get out of here. But I put myself at the top of the stairs. And so worse than playing with Play-Doh was saying, pardon me, pardon me, pardon me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, all the way out the door and drawing attention to myself in this big crowd of people. So I didn't do that. I just sat up there and I said, hey, I'll make you something, you make me something. We'll never talk about this again. We're sworn to a blood oath, okay, to never let anybody else know we played with Play-Doh. And so we did that. I made him a bat and ball or something or football, and he made something sportsy for me. And, and we were sitting there kind of plotting, okay, this is going to be over soon. Let's get out of here. And while we were sitting there, um, Emily and uh, Patty, who brought me there, but Emily came up, and she had a, cordbo- a cardboard box, but it was filled with little smile faces made out of Play-Doh, about 40 smile faces. And she said, she came over, and she gave it to me, and she said, man, we're all glad you're here. And it was like God did something in my heart. Um, it didn't make me believe in God, but it, it made me come back to that group for a second time because it really touched me that someone would take the time to make all those little smile faces. It's funny, I still have two or three of them. They're like 40, 40 years old. You ever see Plato at 40 years old? It's pretty nasty, but I love them. I still have those. And it impacted my life. So when she says, are you surprised? I was surprised. Later on in our conversation in the book, I I write these things. She kind of shares it. But she was more there for the social aspect of the group. When I started going to church, I asked tons of questions. Fired one question after another. I didn't want to believe something that wasn't true. So all the questions I had, I kept on asking, kept on asking. But when I gave my life to Christ, I was gone. You know, I was gone. I went from darkness to light. And, and, and Emily had a huge part in that. So it did surprise me. Now, we're kicking off this series. And the reason I feel, one of the biggest reasons I feel it's so important to kick off this series right now is because we live, we live in a culture, if you will. We live in a culture that is polarized by extreme viewpoints. We're polarized as a nation whether you're a Democrat or Republican or you have this view or that view, every, everyone's so polarized and so uptight and so aggressive, so much, though, that we've, we've really lost the ability to debate our views without anger or insult. It's hard to watch a debate on television or watch the news or watch anything or, or have an interaction at work or at school without people getting so intensely worked up over their point of view. Some college students, and I'm not being political and I'm not criticizing, all I'm doing is stating this, but I've heard over and over again that college students, okay, need safe places to go, safe spaces to go, so they don't have to hear someone else's opinion, something that differs with their opinion or their view of life. So they need a safe space to get away from any interaction with someone who thinks differently than they do. That's how far we've come. Christian college students on many campuses, are ridiculed by their professors because they're believers. The professor finds out the person's a believer and they go right after them. 
They've had students like that for years and years. They know all the little things to say to really go after that student. So they, they ridicule those students. And our, our Christian students often don't know how to defend themselves against someone who's been in that school for 30 or 40 years and has his whole repertoire, if you will, down. And they don't. It is the number one reason why I wrote this book. This was a Facebook conversation that ended up being 600 pages long, okay, when it's printed off. And we took that and we kind of broke it down in sections where it's easily more more readable. But that's the reason I wrote the book. I didn't intend on writing a book. I just intended on investing in the life of someone who made such an impact on my life. And I wanted to bring them back into into at least, uh, you know, understanding who Christ is and believing so that's where the book came from. And I, I, again, I wrote it for our high school students who are going into college. If you have high school students, if you have college students, this is a very, very good book for them to have before they go off. If they're off, I know a lot of them are off already. Send them the book so they have it with them, so they can use it. Here's the thing. Families are fractured. Friendships are destroyed, destroyed from differing worldviews. It's, it's like we can't interact anymore. So then how do we share our faith? How do we defend our faith in such a way that, that it doesn't cause this kind of fracturedness? Because the reality, once again, is we, 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 are, we are lost when it comes to how to interact as a culture. But here's the thing. Here's what I'd love to do during this series. I'd love to recapture the concept of open and respectful dialogue. I want to recapture this whole concept of how do, you, how do you dialogue with each other? How can you go face-to-face with someone who you completely disagree with in your worldview, but not come off in a way that's aggressive or angry or rude or disrespectful? How do we do that? We, it can be done. It can be done. But how do we do that? In this series, we're going to spend most of our time, this is going to go on for, into November, we're going to spend most of our time teaching you how to share your faith or how to defend your faith, if you will. A lot of it's going to be apologetics, almost it's all apologetics, but how do you defend your faith? But before we can do that, we need to start with some basic principles to guide those discussions. The Bible gives us basic principles that will help us, it will guide us in those discussions. The best way to begin a conversation with someone about your faith is to start with God and you. Um, My youth pastor, Rich Thomas, when I was in high school, I first started going to church, I remember being on a bus with him. We were on a retreat and we're driving on the bus and I literally can, I can vividly remember this conversation and where we are on the bus. I'm sitting on the bus. He's right over here. And, and I'm talking, I'm asking him questions. I never sat in the back of the bus and talked to the students a lot of the time because I always wanted, if I had a chance to get him as a kind of a captive audience, whatever, I asked lots and lots of questions. And I asked him, how do I share my faith? Like, I'm the only person in my family who's a Christian at this point. Most of them are now, but at that point, none of them really were. So how do I share my faith with, you know, with my family and my friends? And he said, just tell your story. Just tell your story. Tell your God story. Tell people how God has changed your life. That is so important. It's simple, but it's so important. In my conversations with Emily, I tried to share my God story throughout our discussion. From the moment she, the moment we reconnected until, you know, even now today, I try to tell her my, my God story. 
what God has done in my life, the miraculous things that God has done to change me into the person that I am today. It's really to start about God and you. What has God done in your life? Whenever we share the truth of God's word, First Peter tells us that we need to do it with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. Have you ever noticed as you read through the word of God that Jesus never tries to hard sell, if you will. He never tries to push or hard sell the gospel. People can choose to follow him or walk away. They're, they're free to, to, to listen to him and believe in what he says or to reject it completely. He lays out the truth and he allows people to choose. He allows people, they just listen and they can believe or they can reject. But Jesus doesn't try to hard sell. He doesn't try to push it down anyone's throat. Today we live in a culture that has become rude. It has become rude and, and, and disrespectful and intolerant of anyone else's views but their own. We can't, like I said in the beginning, we can't talk to each other. Common courtesy, common courtesy is no longer common. Courtesy is not there. I mean, universities don't want people from differing views, whether it's a conservative view or a liberal view. They don't want to hear from the other side, if you will. We've lost this whole idea of common courtesy and how to be respectful and, and when we're talking to each other. But the Bible makes it absolutely clear, absolutely clear that respect is a value that every single Christian needs to have. Respect is a value that every single Christian needs to embrace. First Peter chapter three, chapter two, I'm sorry, verse 17 says, show proper respect to everyone. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. We all want to be respected. We all want people to treat us with dignity. It doesn't matter if a person is living in such a way that goes completely against the Bible. If they're not a follower of Jesus Christ, then they don't know any different. Even if they do know different, we still should treat them with gentleness and respect. If we totally disagree with how that person is living their lives, we are responsible before God, God to love that person and to show respect and dignity to that person. So I want to spend the rest of our time um, understanding the, the why and the how of showing respect. The why and the how of showing respect. Why should we show respect and how do we show respect? Let's start with the why. Throughout my conversation with Emily, I would often stop and I would ask her if I was being respectful, if I was hurting her feelings. I said this at one point, Emily, if I ever say anything that offends you, please let me know. As we continue to talk, that would never be my desire. And I would do that throughout. You know, if I'm offending you, if I'm saying something that's offensive, please let me know because I don't want to be offensive. I don't want to hurt you. At one point, I said something that really, she's feisty, okay, but I'm passionate too. So it's hard when someone's calling God a superhuman sky fairy not to want to fire back a little bit. You know what I mean? But I, you know, I just say, she doesn't, you know, she doesn't have a relationship with Christ. So if she wants to call God a superhuman sky fairy, that, that's her business. But at one point, I said something that really set her off, and she was not happy whatsoever. 
Let me, let me share my response when I found out that she was upset. I said, boy, did that post, that post backfire on me. I need to rethink what I was trying to say and try again. I need to go out, but I'll connect again tonight. Yes, you are loving and thoughtful, smart and compassionate. No argument. Boy, I ticked you off. I don't think you feel loved and respected. I am very sorry. I'm very sorry. You know, respectful dialogue when you interact with people keeps the conversation on a positive track. Um, This was her response when I wrote that to her. Okay, I'll accept and appreciate another try. And she has a smile face with a wink on it. I look forward to your reply. And yes, I'm still smiling throughout throughout the conversation because it started out with those smile faces. And I said to her in the very beginning, hey, you know, a smile can change the world. And I showed her back to back ministries website, uh, self-sustaining enterprises, Grace Chapel, all the different things that we were doing around the world and the impact that that I, I and others have been able to have on the world because of her gesture. Honestly, you know, guys, if you're in high school or junior high, if you saw me in high school, you'd probably try to avoid me or think that guy's never going to listen to anything I have to say about church or God. All right, you don't know. You don't know. And you don't know when you do something very kind for someone, a kind gesture, some simple little Plato smile faces, and here I stand up in front of you. I don't know where I would have been other than that impact on my life. I don't know. God's sovereign. He can do all things. But that was what got me to come back to church the second time. It is powerful, those thoughtful, kind gestures that we, that we can show to other people. So she says, I'm still smiling. That's kind of our code for everything's, everything's okay. In our dialogue, Emily was always more important than the point I was trying to make. When you get into a discussion with people, it can't be you want to win. This is all about winning this confrontation or winning this conversation or winning this debate. When you're talking about sharing your faith or when you're talking about defending your faith, it's not really all about winning. It's how you communicate to people. Because if you get people ticked off, what do they do? They put up walls. They're not even listening to you. You could be completely 100,000% right, but they're not listening because they put up walls because of the way you're presenting it. You know, I, when we do premarital counseling, Deb and I will always tell the couple, when, they, when you get into a confrontation, when you get into a fight, when you get into an argument, ask yourself, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? In this situation where you're defending your faith or sharing your faith, here's the thing. Do you just want to be right or do you want to have a relationship? Because you can be right in your conversation and they never want to talk to you again. It's so important that we understand that. It won't help to be right if you're not respectful. Because if you're not respectful and gentle in how you present yourself and how you present God, they're going to reject it. They're just going to pull back. They're going to say how rude and obnoxious. Even if they're rude and obnoxious to you, you don't need to do it back. So why is respect so critical? Let me give you a few reasons. Number one, because we are all created in the image of God. Why should you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, respect other people? Because they are created in the image of God. There are no worthless people ever born on this planet. There are people who may choose sometimes to live worthless lives, but there are no worthless 
people. God created everyone with a specific purpose. They have value. They have worth because they're created in the image of God. But when people choose to walk away or not interact with God, they can choose to live a worthless life. Solomon was absolutely right when he said that those who are living apart from God, if you're not living your life for God, he says this in Ecclesiastes 1-2, meaningless, 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 says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything he says is meaningless. And you read that, you're like, this is depressing. If you take the thought process that he's saying it's meaningless outside of a relationship with God, it's meaningless if you're not living your life for God. That's what he's talking about there. But there are no worthless people. Now, here's the thing. Respecting others doesn't mean that we have to embrace or endorse what they do or even what they believe, but we have to respect them for being created in the image of God. They deserve, they deserve our respect and they should get it. In our discussion early on, Emily said this, recently someone told me, this was a Christian, that I was a bad parent because I didn't bring my kids to church. So that made me not smiley, but sad and a little angry. The person who said this was mean and thoughtless. I totally agree. What is the purpose in telling a mom that you're a bad mom? Is, is that person at all going to go, you know, you're right. I'm a bad mom. Now I'm going to think about God and take my kids to church. That's, that, that's just, Christians do these kinds of things. And I just want to like, what, what are you thinking? You don't tell a mom you're a bad mom. You share the love of Christ with the person. You know, it's so, so funny. We hold people, we hold non-believers to a biblical standard and they don't know Christ. How can you hold them to a standard when they're completely, the Bible says they're blind and they're spiritually dead. So you're holding a blind and dead person to your standard. If a person goes around drinking, smoking, carrying whatever, they're smoking everything they can possibly imagine, and they're getting totally wasted all the time, they use foul language, I'm not, that's not my concern. My concern is I share the love of Jesus Christ with them. And I'll let God do all the work of all the other stuff. You can't start by beating up on people when they don't recognize that they're doing wrong in the first place sometimes. Share the love of Christ with them. Lead them into a relationship with Jesus Christ and let the Holy Spirit deal with all that other stuff that we so worry about all the time. So I totally disagree. I totally disagree with this Christian and totally agree with Emily that it is rude. Okay, it makes you sad. It makes you angry and it's mean and thoughtless. I I remember as a youth pastor, I would go into schools. I would go in. I would I was in Walmart at different times and I would try to interact with like high school students who looked different. Let's just say that. Because I was trying to study youth culture. And as I was studying youth culture, I would walk up to students. And at one point, we were at this, sh- at this co- some kind of show. And there was a group of students standing around. And I thought to myself, oh, boy. And they, were, they had black fingernails. And their hair was black. And everything were dressed in black. They had black gloves on. They had, everything was black. You know what I mean? And they had, like, black makeup on. And it was just... And I walked over and I said, hey, guys, now picture this, okay? You walk into a group of people. And they were warlocks and, and witches. So I walked over and said, hey, I'm a youth pastor. My name is Jeff, and I'm studying youth culture, and I would love it if we could get together sometime, and I could study, and you could explain to me what you believe. I don't have to say anything. I just want to hear what you believe. And the leader said, no, we're not, not everyone's going to meet with you. He said, I'll meet with you. I said, great, I'll meet with you. We went out to, went out to Bob Evans. You've got to picture this. So we're sitting in Bob Evans, okay? And, uh, you know, it's, and I've had the same haircut for like 58 years. I'm only 56. And... Uh, 
And uh, we're sitting there, and here's this, you know, my me uh, with my youth pastor outfit on, and uh, and here's this here's this warlock, and we're having a conversation. And I'd look around the restaurant every once in a while. No one was saying a word. They were all just like, you know, this is like dinner and a show. This is amazing. Everything he said, I disagreed with. He was cussing God at different points. He was saying this and that about Satan is good and blah, blah, blah. And everything he said, I disagreed with. But you know what? I treated him with love and respect. You know why? Because he's created in the image of God. I don't have to, God can defend himself. I'm not going to get all worked up because he's cussing out God. I asked him to sit down and tell me what he believes. That's what he believes. Here's the funny thing. I would walk into King's High School because he was a King's High School student. I walk into King's High School. Guess who the first person in the lunchroom was to greet me? The warlock. You want to see some stunned students? Here's the youth pastor walking in, the warlock coming up and they're hugging and everything and talking to each other. They didn't know what was going on. Either I would convert it over there or he was going to, they didn't know it. Something was going on. Love and respect. Love and respect. It doesn't matter. You don't have to embrace someone's worldview, but you have to love and respect them. Number two, we respect others because Jesus died for everyone. For God so loved the world. The world means everyone. Go look it up. It doesn't mean just the elect. God died for everyone. You may not like someone or think much of them, but Jesus died for them. And God, in in God's eyes, they have value. Now I'm going to say something that's going to stun some of you. Take a deep breath. Okay, grab the person's hand next to you. This is important, okay? Jesus loves that anchor on CNN or Fox News. Okay, he does. I know you're thinking of, you know, right? You're that Cuomo, what is his name? Cuomo, whatever. I hear about him all the time. People don't like him. They don't like him. They don't like what he says. But I'll tell you something. God loves that person. Whether, whether you're an anchor on CNN, whether you're an anchor on Fox News, and you don't like Fox News, you don't like CNN, you don't like their worldview, you know what? God loves them. And Jesus died for them. So we need to show love and respect. We need to be praying for and loving people and encouraging people and building relationships because Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. All of us. While we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Number three, we show respect for a person because it reflects our love for God. Why do we show respect to other people? Because it is a reflection of our love for God. 1 John 4, 8 says this, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. And if I claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then my heart needs to be open. My, 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 my heart should be filled with love for other people because as I love other people, it expresses my love for God. If I don't love others, then how can you say you love God? The Bible says, how can you say you love God who you can't see when you aren't loving the people you can see? We need to love them because it reflects our love for God. Love always treats people with respect, even the people that we don't agree with. And it should be mostly the people that we don't agree with. You know, I, th- I love the idea of tolerance. Everybody, the, the, everybody talk about tolerance. You're intolerant. You're intolerant. In order to be tolerant, wouldn't you have to disagree with the person that you're in a conversation with? People love to talk about tolerance who totally agree with each other. Tolerance is when you disagree with someone and still love and respect them and show dignity to that person. That's tolerance. We need to show respect. Jesus 
treated people, he treated everyone with respect. From the woman caught in adultery to Pontius Pilate, Jesus treated people with respect. 1 Corinthians 13.5 reminds us that love is not rude, love is not self-seeking, love is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. In other words, again, it's not rude, it is not selfish, it is not vengeful. It's not looking and saying, how am I going to get this person back? How do I win this conversation at all costs? The cost could be their eternal destiny. We have to care how we present Jesus Christ's love to those folks. Okay, so how do we do this and show respect? How do we show respect? When people are rude, and and they get rude, okay? When people are rude, you be gentle. When people are rude, you are gentle. In Romans chapter 12, verse 17, it says, Never repay anyone evil for evil. Never repay anyone evil for evil. Take thought for what is right, right and gracious and proper in the sight of everyone. Sometimes people are going to ask their questions in anger. They're angry. Well, if there's a God, then why did God or why doesn't God or why should God? Or I don't understand. And they don't say it nice and calm with respect for you. They're rude. They're obnoxious. Sometimes, sometimes. They're aggressive. But here's the thing. You don't know why the person's asking that question with such heavy emotions, with such intense emotions. Why are they asking it like that? There's usually a reason. There's a reason behind it. So we can't just react to their emotion by being rude, okay, or mean-spirited or getting angry back. When I was a youth pastor, a lot of the students, and this happens with adults all the time, people will say first, I don't believe in God. Let's talk about why you don't believe in God. Well, I don't believe in God, and blah, blah, blah. And as the conversation goes on, you know what it turns to? It goes from I don't believe in God to I hate God. I, I think to myself, ooh, now we're getting somewhere. You hate God. Why do you hate God? And I have had students... 17-year-old students say they hate God, okay? They hate God because they prayed when they were six years old and their gerbil still died. And you think, gerbil, give me a break. It was, their, it was their pet and they prayed to this God and he didn't save their gerbil. My grandmother, when I was 10 years old, my grandmother was dying and, and, uh, and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and she still died and I hate God. See, that you can start talking through. But you don't know why the person's so emotional about it. Maybe they prayed throughout their lives and God didn't answer their prayer the way they wanted it to be answered. They wanted something. They wanted to be something. They wanted to do something. They wanted to have something. And God wasn't the genie in the bottle and didn't give them what they wanted. And now they hate him for it. But if you just, if you just react to what they're saying with anger and being rude back, you're not going to get to the heart of why they're asking the question. Because seriously, whether they're rude or they're angry or they're whatever, defiant, they're asking the question because they actually want an answer. They want someone to answer their question instead of like, well, I'm not really sure. Or, you know, well, that, you, know, you know, God has a plan or whatever. And Emily just can't stand that phrase. God, she said the answer for everything from Christians is God has a plan. And I thought, well, I said to her, well, he does have a plan, but let me give you some other broader answers. Last week we talked about, last couple weeks we talked about emotional maturity, right? This is where we show emotional maturity. 
When we're in situations where people are, their emotions are just flying at us and they're asking questions, this is where we need to show emotional maturity. There is no excuse for us to lose our temper or to be rude back to people. Because if you have the truth, you need to present that truth in such a way they're going to receive that truth. And that's not going to be done if we, if we react to them. We have, a respo- we have a responsibility to represent Christ in a way that honors God. We have a responsibility, the people that we're talking to, to represent Jesus Christ in a way that honors God the Father. That means at school. That means at work. That means on the field. Hear me out when you're a teenager, right? Hear me on this one. That means at home with your parents. There is no pass for 13 to 19-year-olds to be rude. There is no pass. Show me in the Bible where teenagers, adolescents get a pass to be rude, okay, or angry or cuss at their parents or be disrespectful to their teachers at school or their friends and put their friends down and tease them and mock them and bully them. Where is, where is, show me chapter and verse where you all get a free pass. You don't. Mary was a teenager when she had Jesus. David was a teenager when he slayed Goliath. We're ripping you guys off, man. You're wasting 13 and 19 sometimes. You could be starting businesses. You could be, you could be doing dynamic, exciting things all around the world instead of sitting around letting people tell you, oh, you're an adolescent, so you're not, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. All you can be is rude and obnoxious and, and this and that and the baloney. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I'm going to do a whole sermon on it in the next, like, six months. It's just ridiculous. It drives me crazy that you're being ripped off of some of the best years of your life. But I'm going to tell you this morning that you have no excuse for being rude and obnoxious and foul-mouthed or whatever towards your parents or anyone else. There's no past in the Bible whatsoever. You can find one, I'll stop saying that. Even when it comes to the people in the church, are we gentle and respectful to each other when we share our positions in church about our political positions, our medical positions? educational positions or thoughts, theological positions or thoughts? Are we gentle, respectful to each other when we talk about what we believe about this medical thing or what we believe about this educational thing or what we believe about this you know, theological area or what we believe about? Are we gentle and respectful to each other? Because here's the reality. After 30-some-odd years of doing this, here's the reality. If you're not with each other, it really damages the body of Christ. People leave the church sometimes not because of something I said from the pulpit. It's something that was said in the foyer that wasn't said with gentleness and respect. The interaction was not expressed with gentleness and respect. Second, when we walk, when we talk with others, here, this is important. The word of God is truth, the truth of the universe. But when we talk to others, we need to be tactful, not just truthful. We need to be tactful, not just truthful. And I looked up what this word tact actually means. What does it mean? It means a keen sense of what to say or do to avoid giving offense. Skill, remember we talked about skill last week was something that was learned. Skill in dealing with difficult or delicate situations. In Proverbs 15.4, it says this, A soothing tongue, okay, words, a soothing tongue is a tree of life. It brings life. It makes people flourish and grow and feel really good. But a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. When we are sharing our opinions, our perspectives on life, we need to do it with a smooth tongue. 
So it brings life, not a perverse tongue. And not just cussing. I'm talking about how words are said so it doesn't crush another person's spirit. We need to show respect with our words. We need to, honestly, guys, we need to be really, really careful when we're sharing our faith or defending our faith on the words that we use, but not only our words, words are only 7% of communication is words. The other 93% is, guess what? Tone of voice, right? And body language. You want to know how your mom feels or your dad feels or anyone feels? Look at their eyes. Your mom can be on the phone and not say one word, and when you're bugging her, she looks at you. Are you confused? Body language... Right? You know what? You don't have to say anything. You know exactly. You go hide because you know when she gets off the phone, you're in big trouble. She didn't say a word. Tone of voice, body language, 93% of communication, 7% are the words that we actually use. The Bible says to speak the truth in what? In love. Speak the truth, but speak the truth in love. It's not just what you say. It's not just the words that you use. It's what? How you say it. Right? It's not just what we say, it's how we say it. We need to focus our attention on being tactful. Because if we focus our attention on being tactful, then we're going to remain respectful. If I'm being tactful in how I present my faith, then I'm going to be respectful of the other person. I love this. Tact is the ability to, 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 to make a point, right, without making an enemy. Tact is the ability to make a point without making an enemy. And tact is when you can tell someone, and some of you are really good at this. People just smile and think you're wonderful. When you tell someone to go jump off a cliff, right, in a way that makes a person look forward to the journey, right? Some of you can do that. Others can't. But some of you can tell people, just go jump off a cliff. And the people that you're telling it to, they're just looking forward to the journey of jumping off the cliff because of tact. It's how you say it. It's how you say it. As we continue our series, we're going to talk a lot. We're going to be talking a lot about challenging questions. Okay, we're going to go all different evolution creation. I've got a a top, a leading scientist in the world who's going to be up here on stage with us, and I'm going to be asking them questions, and we're going to do dramas. We're going to do all, this is going to be a really, really fun series, but we're going to be talking a lot about difficult questions. How do you answer the challenging questions that people are asking you? Honestly, how do we, you have questions. I don't care if you're a follower of Jesus Christ or not. You have a lot of questions. We're going to try to answer those questions. But we need to learn how to do it. Before we jump in, we need to learn how to do it with gentleness and respect. Early in our discussion, Emily wrote this. I find value in everything, with or without God. Later she wrote this. I do believe that we long for purpose, that people long for purpose. But why must that be defined by religion? So the first question I want to get into is... Is there value, is there meaning, is there purpose in life, in our lives, without God? If you eliminate God from the equation, is the, do people, do human beings have value? Is there meaning to our lives, or does your life have a purpose apart from God? And I'm going to answer that question when? Next week. Next week. All right. Now, I know some people are disappointed. Hold on one second. Here's the thing. I see empty seats, Okay. 
These seats should be filled, honestly. This is a great series. This could change people's lives. People have questions all around you. Your friends at school, your friends at work, people in your neighborhood, they have questions. Let's get them here. Let's, let's talk them through this. We'll take Wednesday nights and, and Wednesday mornings, and we'll do different kinds of experiences where people can ask questions, but let's make sure we get folks here, okay? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this awesome day you've given to us and this awesome time we can spend together. I pray, dear God, that you go before us right now and you start talking to those people, you start moving in their hearts that we want to ask to come. So everybody picture someone in their mind, a couple people, that you're going to invite, you're going to have the boldness to invite to come and tell them what the series is all about. Get them the book, give them the book. Let them read through it and have other questions. Let them write all over the book and other questions they have and then we'll try to answer their questions. But, but God, I pray that as people picture other folks in their minds, you can read our minds. I pray, dear God, that you go before us and begin to speak to their hearts, prepare their hearts for what they're going to learn. God, it isn't going to be miraculous arguments or dynamic arguments that bring people into a relationship with you. It's going to be the love, the respect, the dignity, the kindness, the compassion that we show as we express those views, as we share your love with others.